invite you to be turning to Galatians chapter 2, page 1397 in your pew Bibles. I took a detour last week, and I told you then, uh, we, we talked about the end of the world, and I didn't know if that would be the only sermon, or if God would want to say more, and I had my usual headaches and study aches, and hit my head against the wall a few times, and I don't have any bruises, but um, I felt like the Lord said what He wanted to say on that topic and that one message, and so thought we should go back to Galatians, and we find ourselves in Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Just by way of reminder, uh, Galatians is Paul's perhaps most blunt uh, abrasive book. I felt like he kind of hurried it up whenever he opened it with his usual salutations, and then he got right to the point. And then actually, after one verse after we finish today, he opens up chapter 3 saying, Oh foolish Galatians! So he seems to be a little upset with them. And uh, the reason being is Paul is contending earnestly for the faith, as to use Jude's words, And the faith that Paul preaches and that Peter preaches and that Jesus preaches is a faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Now, alone in the sense that it is, first of all, true faith, not just mental assent, but faith as James would describe it, faith that produces deeds, faith that is alive, not dead. And it is faith in Christ alone, but not in one's works or deeds, but living faith in Christ that saves one. Now, how does one exercise or get that faith? Well, I believe that too is actually God's grace working beforehand in a person. But this gospel that Paul preaches is at contrast with what he's arguing against. Adherence to the law, obedience to the law that God gave Moses and Jews, Moses and the, and the Jews that had followed, Paul unashamedly believes that a new covenant has come in. So obedience in the law in the sense that, well, it's that obedience that's going to save me. Paul disagrees. Nobody can obey the law perfectly. So we'll unpack these themes as we go along. I invite you to stand if you're able one last time. Galatians chapter 2, picking it up in verse 15 and reading to the end of the chapter. Paul writes, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have believed in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, while we seek to be justified in Christ, we find ourselves, or we ourselves are found to be sinners, does that make Christ a minister of sin? Certainly not. If I rebuild what I have already torn down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. 
I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let's pray. Father, um, many pastors have said, keep the main thing the main thing. It's because we seem to be so prone throughout all of church history, even as early as the time the Galatians was writing, to veer off from a very simple truth. Help us, Father. Keep us loyal to your truth. Help us to understand what Paul is saying. Help us to understand the urgency and why it's so important. Grow us in this faith. Thank you that this simple truth is at the same time so profound that it takes, it seems, all of our faculties to live it out. I pray that you would move me aside and say what it is that you desire. Open up hearts and ears to hear your voice. Help us to respond obediently. Help us to love you and to love others well. And help us to be faithful, Father, to do your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. I need to... I was trying to save some power, but I would like to see my screen to make sure I'm uh, going ahead on slides that I want to go ahead on. <laughs> Has or is, I should say, is your Christianity a head or a heart thing? Is your Christianity, is your faith in Christ, does it truly come from a deep place of knowing the ugliness of sin? Is your, or listen to the emotions of God, I should say, as he surveys sin in Genesis chapter 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was altogether evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Every man and beast and crawling creature and bird of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. Grieved. I've got to tell you that there is a profound weight over the world. There is a heavy darkness. And perhaps in Woodland we thought we would escape it, but you open up our computer, you open up your phone, you open up any news, you turn on the TV, and it's there. You talk to friends, you talk to neighbors, it's there. Sin. Sin still seems to want to creep into every human heart, the human mind. Sin still wants to infect and affect everything. And every now and then someone like Noah, who came in his day, so we might come in our day, we might be moved by God's grace, we might be taken in by his light, we might wake up and realize and desire a better world. We might be 
grieved and weighed down like God is in some of us. Upon conversion, I wonder if we then enter into a head thing and not a heart thing. Christ wants the whole body. Christ wants head and heart. You cannot fight sin with the head. Head and heart. See, head requires mostly acknowledging, articulating, and affirming. But heart doesn't require, however it produces, activity. Head requires acknowledging, I'm a sinner, this is a sinful world, we need a savior. This moves to articulating, his name is Jesus, he died for me, he rose again. And then affirming, I believe in him, he will return. I know how he has things he doesn't want me to do if I'm his, so I'll just follow his rules. And many people seem to stop here. Many people haven't received Jesus in the heart. And these people, upon wanting to grow in their faith, but still only living in the head and not the heart, will then take artificial routes to grow their faith. Instead of receiving Jesus and saturating with Jesus in the heart to produce activity, maybe we think, well, I've only been to grades 1 through 12 at Jesus school, now it's time to go to college. And as if by convenience, we suddenly aren't dealing with sins. That we do. Suddenly we're too busy learning more. We aren't dealing with what God wants me to do on a day-to-day basis because we've got more head knowledge to grow. And this is how I believe it starts with religiosity. See, I believe for, for folks who begin to think, well, Jesus is just a down payment. He's just a foundation, a basis to build some more religiosity off of. And here's how I see it today. There is a a fascination with Judaism that Christians can have that sometimes can get very dangerous. And, And I get it. Jesus was Jewish. Perhaps it starts off innocently. Jesus was Jewish, and I want to understand that better. And maybe if I'm supposed to imitate Jesus, then I should be more Jewish. But listen how Paul is about to speak here from a very place of that very Jewishness. See, the Apostle Paul, who is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Now, that's a Jewish way of saying the epitome of something. King of kings, Lord of lords. Well, Paul says in his letter to the Philippians that he was Hebrew of Hebrews. And as far as the law was concerned, he says he was a Pharisee. That's like asking, are you Catholic? Well, I am the Pope. (laughs) In fact... Paul believed about himself, as he states in the letter to the Philippians, that as to the righteousness in the law, he was faultless. I can't even keep the Ten Commandments. (laughs) And despite being faultless as far as righteousness under the law, Paul states here in Galatians that he knows something from his Jewishness. He says, Back in the first verse we're we're talking about here, he says, We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now the BSB has a quotes around sinners because we believe Paul is using this a little illustratively. From the Jewish mindset, Gentiles are sinners. They're unholy. They're not of the chosen race. 
And so perhaps it's meant to grab the people who are fascinated by Jews, so much so that they want to be one. Paul is saying, here's how I know it is from the side that you want to be on. We know that a man is not justified by works of the law. Period. Let it sink in a little bit. Here's what head people do. Heady people, as opposed to heart people. Oh, I'm growing in my religion, so I got the law out. I need to be law-keeping, Sabbatarian, bread stowing away for Passover, super holy, super righteous. So then what did Jesus die for? How are we set free, really, if we are now or still under a slave master of the law? A man, a person, period, is not justified by works of the law. That's good news. And just to make sure Paul's making sure you get it, he repeats it in verse 16. Paul says, where people are justified not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You cannot say, I wonder what Paul means here. (laughs) Justified declared righteous or made righteous before God. This does not happen by the law or by works of the law. It's not a debate. It's a fact. This means that there is nothing that needs to go on your schedule. There is no activity you need to do. There is no food that you should not eat. No holiday or feast that you haven't be keeping that you should keep. There is nothing that you can do, period. No passages in the Old Testament you should frantically look over to obey. No activity of any sort or kind that will ever move God to say, if you obey me, then I will love you. God doesn't say that. God doesn't start from that. If you obey me, then I will love you. That's what religiosity teaches but it is not what God teaches. And you take a sigh of relief, but then you want to hear what God teaches? (laughs) The Lord looks down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if any understand, if any seek God. All have turned away. They have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. You know what God also teaches? Cursed is he who does not put the words of this law into practice. Paul quotes that himself later on in Galatians. There's no one righteous, and anybody who does not put the law into practice is cursed. Hence, that's why it makes so much sense to hear that no one will be justified by the law. They can't do it. Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, righteous, blameless Paul, knows... That people are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, Jews, that is Jews who have the law and have dispensed with the law and have believed in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Faith in Christ justifies. Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews, the Pharisee, the blameless one before the law, is basically saying, in the face of everything we've been taught, our entire tradition, our entire upbringing of the very law of God, we have found in Jesus 
our justification. To make this clear, plainly clear, if you and I have been sobered enough to realize that before God we don't have a chance to impress Him, right? We are as lucky and fortunate and well-off as a toddler with a pencil in front of an army of tanks. That is how we will fare before the righteous standard of the law. Only the thing is, is God's not waiting to blast us into oblivion. Rather, despite what He knows about us and despite knowing that we will offend Him, will break the law, will commit sin, He has instead given us His Son, Jesus. Because the same God who, who sees that none are righteous, no, not one, is the same God who so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. We need to get that. But to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe has already been condemned because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. See, that's Jesus right there preaching that salvation comes by faith in the Son and not by the law. You hear that? Whoever does not believe has already been condemned. That's that's the line of demarcation. Well, Jesus obviously didn't consider the law. Well, actually He did. It's kind of implicit in chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 of John where he says, Jesus did not entrust himself to them, for he knew them all. He did not need any testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. That's what Jesus considered about the law. No man could keep it. He knew what was in man. Paul preaches what Jesus preached. Faith in Christ. Well, what are these false teachers preaching to the Galatians, to do the law. To do the law doesn't work. Look at what Paul says here in verse 17 and 18. He says, But if while we seek to be justified in Christ, we ourselves are found to be sinners, does that make Christ a minister of sin? Certainly not. If I rebuild what I have already torn down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. Now, I kind of missed it in that language. So I went really dynamic on the literal scale of the Bible. Oh no. To communicate what Paul is saying here, I, I want to pull, pull out the New Living Translation. But, suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down. See, this this is kind of the crux. This is the problem in Galatians. This is the issue. On one side, we have people saying, no, 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 no. To be sinless and righteous, you must keep the law. Faith in Christ is like a down payment. He pays, but you pay the rest. And on the other side, the, the right side, the correct side, we have no, Jesus pays it all. It's a really good song. We should sing it. It's all good. The law is just set aside. And this is the problem. This is the issue. These two sides. Now, 
Two weeks ago, I mentioned how Paul painted the bad side, the wrong side. Two weeks ago, Paul says to those who think like the Judaizers, he called them really enemies. He says, false brothers had come in under false pretenses to spy. And that word spy is to basically spy out and prepare to kill it on our freedom in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us, enemies of Christ. And so Paul is answering the charge here in verse 17 and 18. Is Christ an enemy? Did he lead us to sin when we say he brought to us a new covenant to be a part of? Has he caused us to sin by abandoning the law? And Paul says quite the contrary. If I rebuild what I have already torn down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker, right? If I add to the new covenant that Christ has set up, the law also, that is where the sin is. Jesus says it this way, no one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and sews it to an old one. If he does, he will tear the new garment as well and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will spill and the wineskins will be ruined. Instead, new wine is poured into new wineskins. See, Jesus didn't bring a new patch to patch up the old covenant with. He didn't bring some new wine to dump into the old wineskins of the law. So, how would one break the law by rebuilding it into the new covenant? And I believe the example is with what Peter did in context with what Paul's talking about in Galatians. We talked about that two weeks ago as well. Peter was at Antioch, and he was enjoying the newfound freedoms of dining with Gentiles, interacting with Gentiles. But then we were told that when certain men from James arrived, he, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself for fear of those in the circumcision group. Peter is alienating his fellow Christians. Why? Pressure from the law, the old covenant law. The Old Covenant interpretation says Jews are God's chosen people. Don't interact with Gentiles. But what does the New Covenant reveal? Paul will say it later in Galatians. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Greek being a catch-all term for Gentile. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That means Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile can dine together. They can be around one another. And to deny that by means of rebuilding the law is to sin. Again, Paul says, if I rebuild what have I have already torn down, I prove myself to be a lawbreaker. Now, does that make sense? Commentators even scratched their heads and said, good luck, Kevin. But I believe that's the gist. That's the that's how Paul has flipped the argument. You have abandoned the law. You're a sinner. And Paul is saying quite the contrary. To accept Christ in the new covenant and then to try to patch on the old covenant again, that's the sin. So let's regroup because we're kind of in the deep end of the pool right now. First, Paul says, hey, we're Jews and we know this. The law is saving nobody. <laughs> We Jews even know that. We put our faith in Christ Jesus to be saved. That's what we did. Secondly, Paul is saying, 
For Jesus to say, hey, put your faith in me to be saved. Let's set the law aside. Does does that not make Jesus out to be a minister of sin? Does that make him somebody who's led us to sin? No. Thirdly, it, it seems to me that Paul is about to answer a hypothetical question put to him. And that is, okay, Paul, but how were you, the person, okay with doing this? What made you Jews... Jews like Peter, like Paul, what made you trust Jesus for salvation seemingly at the expense of the law? And Paul answers that in one quick verse, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And people wonder and debate exactly what Paul means here, but I I think likely Paul meant it the way how he expressed his frustrations with the law in Romans 7, what Gwyn read for us. That's why you had to sit there for 40 minutes for Gwen to read that. But a few key verses in Romans 7. Paul said, What then shall we say? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have been mindful of sin if not for the law. For For I would not have been aware of coveting if the law had not said, Do not covet. But sin, seizing its opportunity through the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. So I discovered that the very commandment that was meant to bring life actually brought death for sin. Seizing its opportunity through the commandment deceived me. And through the commandment put me to death. It's been a while, but I used to say it like this. I would have never have gone for that third cookie. Until my mom said, Kevin, only two cookies, right? (laughs) Don't, from don't eat the fruit to don't eat that third cookie to the speed limit is 55. The maximum that rules were meant to be broken seems to be our default mode. We think we know better. We think we're being robbed from some sort of joy instead of being spared from harm. And so Paul is saying through the law, I died to the law. Its very existence slew me, is is basically what he's saying. Peter says at the Jerusalem Council, Acts 15, he says, Why do you test God by placing on the necks of the disciples, meaning both Jews and Gentiles who are Christians, a yoke that neither we, Jews, nor our fathers have been able to bear? (laughs) Peter says that in a, a question among the same sort of thinking. Again, the sort of thinking that said, well, Gentiles should keep the law. And Peter says, I'm a Jew, I I vote no. (laughs) So, the very idea of the law, keeping it, Paul says that it led him to want to just leave the law alone and go to Christ. I also want to take an aside here and say that it seems to me, many people who end up leaving the faith period, who end up leaving Christianity in our day seem to be leaving for reasons like this, which shows they don't quite get the gospel. And what I mean is that people who might say, well, I grew up in the church and I just couldn't hack it. They wanted too much of me. I, was, I wasn't a good little boy, so I left the faith. And many times they're leaving on a basis that Paul is mentioning here. I can't keep the law. I can't do it. I, I want to do good, but I can't. I, I don't want to do bad, but I end up doing it. Well, the Bible agrees. But don't leave the faith when you can't keep the law and you can't live up to expectations. Do what Paul does. Run to Jesus. And Paul says poetically, or I say poetically, that the law slew him. So Paul ran to Jesus 
He got up on the cross with him and listened to this famous verse in Galatians 2.20. I have been, or the King James says, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, some of you might remember that I once spent five weeks on a series of sermons just covering this one verse, and I'm going to repeat them all again right now. No, just kidding. Um, maybe not. I, I, can, I can narrow this down to three points. Crucified with Christ. Me alive to Christ because Christ died for me. Crucified with Christ. Me alive to Christ because Christ died for me. Crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Paul says that he couldn't keep the law. So he came to Christ out of defeat, out of surrender, and out of trust. Christ is trustworthy. You know that today. I wonder if what's holding some of us back is, can I trust Christ truly with my life? I wonder if that's what was holding back some of the Judaizers in Galatia. Well, if if I just need to keep the law, it's all in my control. But this is what Christ demanded. Luke 14, beginning with verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew, when he tells the story of Jesus, would say that we must love Christ more than these. That's the picture. That's what Jesus is saying. We're not talking about a hatred like we might think of, but an esteeming less and loving Christ more than these things. Jesus continues, And whoever does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost to see if he has the resources to complete it? Otherwise, if he lays the foundation and is unable to finish the work, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this man could not finish what he started to build. Or what king on his way to war with another king will not first sit down and consider whether he can engage with 10,000 men and the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he is unable, he will send a delegation while the other king is still far off to ask for terms of peace in the same way. Any one of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And I wonder if law lovers, like some of the Galatian teachers in this false gospel, I wonder, well, I don't wonder, I I know because I've witnessed it, there's this this snarky, holier-than-thou, I got the inside track and I'm more righteous, subtle or sometimes not-so-subtle tone, right? You said you can forsake the law. We keep the law. We know obedience. And they're just head people. They're growing in religion. They're getting more degrees in college. They think they've moved beyond conversion. And now they're getting out concordances and they're doing cross-references. And you think it's just free grace and free Jesus. And meanwhile, we're called to forsake the law and follow Jesus who says, deny yourself. That is a heart thing. That gets right to the heart that says, you got passions inside you that must be crucified. Follow me instead. That's more than get out a checklist and try really hard to do what it says. That's head. Heart says, we got to work on changing you. Period. De- 
denying your desires and following me. Heart. You hear the difference? Don't keep the law, but don't serve yourself. Deny it. Be crucified. Deny your will. It's humbling to come to Christ and say, I can't save myself. The law won't fix me. Jesus died for us, so it's only reasonable, Paul would say in Romans 12, it's only reasonable to become a living sacrifice for Him. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Alive to Christ, that's the next part. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Live by faith. Not just faith in Christ for salvation, but live by faith. Live. How do you live by faith? Paul's going to give us an example in Galatians 3, so I'm not going to rob too much of its thunder, but Galatians 3, 6, and 7 state, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, understanding that those who have faith are sons of Abraham. And as we think about the example of the faith of Abraham, we recall that Abraham's faith in God was exemplary for its lifetime example. And not just a single moment in time for conversion, right? We don't read in Genesis, and God called Abraham out of Ur, and Abraham said, yes, God, thank you for calling me out of a sinful world. I'm now saved. The end. (laughs) Instead, we see Abraham yielding to God throughout his life. He left his homeland. He he believed over and over that descendants would be given to him. He fought for Lot when he had to. He brought Isaac up the mount when he was asked to sacrifice him. So faith in the Son of God is yielding our lives to Him instead of yielding to the law, which did encompass a great many things. Eat these foods, celebrate these days, don't sin in those ways. All heady stuff. All acknowledging and articulating and affirming So now instead we yield our hearts and our bodies to Christ because we actually believe that He is a present leader who lives and rules and reigns now, who's given us the Holy Spirit to lead us if we would walk by faith with Him. Activity, a heart thing. We actually believe this stuff, don't we? It's like the Galatian law-loving teacher said, Ah, we have a book to tell us what to do and you just threw out the book. Because the author lives in us. (laughs) And we listen to what he says. We walk by faith. We live by faith. Well, how are you willing to do this, Paul? That was the question where Paul answered, Through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Well, how how are you willing to ignore following the law to a T, the law that God wrote? When God became flesh and died for me, that's when I... Live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. See, the God of religiosity says, Obey me, then I will love you. Christ says, I love you. Period. I love you. No questions asked, no questions asked. No performance needed, no performance graded. I love you. God so loved the world. God came to save the world, not to condemn it. How do you know God loves you? The God who wrote the law, which condemns us as guilty. He gave Himself up for me. Paul says the same thing in Romans 5.8. God proves 
His love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Well, Kevin, that's what Paul says. You're using Paul to argue Paul's theology. I'll go with what Jesus says. So might say a law-loving Galatian false teacher. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So says Jesus. Checkmate. (laughs) I love you. You love me. I'm a sinner. I know. (laughs) That's Jesus. And that Jesus should get into our hearts, not only our heads. That Jesus should move our hearts to change our activity, not just our heads to acknowledge, articulate, and affirm, but move our hearts to activity. So Paul's not ashamed. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Paul believes in grace. He believes in the kindness of God, the unmerited favor of God, the grace that says, you're a sinner, you don't keep the law, you fail before my standards, and I love you. Right? That's grace. And Paul says, you best believe I'm not setting aside that. That's my only hope. Because we have failed the law time and time again in pursuit of holiness, but grace is enough. Grace works. And besides, Paul finds this whole argument rather pointless with people who still claim to be Christians, right? It's as I've been saying, these Galatian teachers say it's Jesus plus. They still hold on to the Jesus part apparently, but but Paul says there's not even enough room for Jesus and or Jesus plus. Rather, for if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died for nothing. Because if the law makes people righteous, why would we even need Christ? Or even if we say, as I said earlier, well, Christ does a down payment and then you work on it, that's bogus because if the law were used to get us a little bit of righteousness, why wouldn't it be used to make us righteous, period, before God? No, the law's old. It's the old covenant. It's old white and skins. It's a ripped up shirt that Christy throws away for me. <laughs> Christ is our new clothes. Christ gets to our hearts. Christ has the audacity not to just call us to get out a checklist and start checking off righteous deeds and righteous avoidances, right? Avoid bad behavior, avoid bad movies, avoid bad language and habits. No, Christ has the audacity to call us to activity. Deny yourself and follow me daily. Put your faith in me daily. Be changed and transformed I have given you the grace to do so. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we uh, we love to argue about old, old things, things that have been thankfully decided on in your word for all of us to see. As was said in Sunday school in Dean's class, half the time, all the time, the truth is right there in front of us. You're right there in front of us. We're just the ones deciding not to receive. Father, I pray that as daunting as this calling is, Father, we read your calling in Luke 14. We realize it's not something we've heard, maybe even in church. But you call us to deny ourselves, to crucify our will, to crucify our desires, to follow you daily. 
The deceptive lie is, is that that won't be satisfying. That's a very deceptive lie that the enemy likes to use. When quite the opposite, Paul t- uh, David tells us that at your right hands are pleasures forevermore. Father, that you satisfy the soul where nothing else can. And Father, living in that self-denying faith in you is the most satisfying thing because it's communion with you. It's what you came and died for. It's the communion that Adam and Eve had in the garden with you, walking daily by faith with you. Help us to ignore the voices of the enemy that tells us that self-denial is, not that it's not hard, but help us to avoid the lie that it is going to be a bad thing, that it's something we won't like. And Father, whenever we're tempted to get really heady and to open up some scriptures in the Old Testament and feel pretty proud of ourselves because we found some rules that not a lot of Christians are keeping, I pray that you would instead remind us that the author of the law exists in us and we can walk by faith in him. Having him telling us where to go, where to go and what to do. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that it's not if we obey you, you love us, but thank you that you love us. We, we love you and we pray that we would serve you and would live uh, lives of living sacrifices following you. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.